You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, you name it, you've come to the right place. That's what we do here. We take your calls and we answer your questions about all of those things and many more. In fact, I like to say that the show's all about business, but the best way to be better in business is to be a better you. So we also talk about those kind of issues, how to improve, how to get better at life, how to get better in your health, your nutrition, your relationships, your knowledge. That's a big part of what we do here, help you learn new skills and new things to do a better job, whether you're a company driver, an owner operator, a small fleet owner, or want to be any of those things. That's what the show's all about. And you know, we're really loaded up with questions today. So we're going to get right to the phone calls. Let's go ahead and get started in New Mexico. Scott, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good. Uh, are you on a speaker phone? It, uh, it sounds horrible right now. Is this a little better? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Go ahead. Well, I've been kind of mentoring a friend of mine's nephew that he's driving a company truck right now. He really badly wants to be an owner-operator, and I can't talk him out of it. So uh, he's overcome a lot in his life and would really like to know, is there any way that you could help out or be willing to help with sending one of those the book system you have on becoming an owner-operator? Because I can only answer so many of his questions. Yeah, and I'd certainly love to help him with some questions. And yeah, I do do donate books occasionally, and I'm still going to continue doing that. One of the things I'm trying to do, though, is kind of pre-qualify people. Because, uh, you know, I follow up with people that I send the book to, and, you know, I'll, I'll try to follow up 30 days later and 60 days later and then six months later. And I am getting a very, very high percentage of people who never even open it. And they have all kinds of excuses. And I get it. They're busy. Life got in the way. They had family emergencies. They're, you know, they're, they know they're not ready yet because they don't have enough money. And, and that just doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, if I'm going to give them away, I want to make sure I'm giving them away to somebody who's going to use them. And, and there's no guarantee after I talk to somebody, but I, I'm just trying to come up with better ways. And what I would ask is that the, the very the minimum price he needs to pay to, to get the program is he has to call me directly on a show. And if he's too shy or then, you know what, he's got to get past that, because if that's the case, if he can't 
Look, if somebody can't come up with $247 for the program, then they may not, they're, they're really not a great candidate anyway. But I do want to give some away to help people get started. I'm just going to start doing a much better job of qualifying people and not give away books to people who, who just won't even open it. One of the things I've learned over the years is that if something is given away, it, which I'd love to do, but it, but if something is given away, many times the person on the other end puts no value on it. It was free. How, how much could it really be worth is kind of what their mind is. And we've even done experiments where we could double the price of that program and sometimes sell more of them because of perceived value. People think, oh, if it's $1,000, it must really be worth a lot. And it is. But I don't, I mean, we can, we can make a profit selling it at 247. People get a good value, but I, I'm just going to be much more careful about giving them away. So I'm not saying no to him, but I'm saying he needs to at least do the minimum amount of work, which means calling me directly on a show and letting me get some answers from him. All right. I'm going to talk to his aunt later today and I'll tell her because I don't, he doesn't always, and this kid is, uh, he wrestled with ADD growing up, and he does, you know, he'll build a house while he's going down the road in his mind just to keep uh, keep his mind occupied. Or he'll build an engine or something like that, and his, you know, mental, mentally, from the block up, build an engine. You know what? I, I, you know, we we've always looked at ADD and ADHD as a as a um, as a disability that that's what it's classified as. And, and we drug kids, um, because of it. And it turns out, I don't know how many people know this or will even believe it. I've always, uh, believed that methamphetamine, you know what I'm talking about, right? The whole horrible drug. Meth I'm very, that, I have a nephew that was, I don't I'm very familiar with. Yeah. So I always thought it was a street drug. You know, that's where it started. I thought it's, you know, people cook it up all kinds of ways. Well, it turns out method methamphetamine is a pharmaceutical drug and we were giving it to lots and lots of kids in the seventies for ADD. And then the only reason we stopped was Ritalin came along and Ritalin seemed to work even better. So we were giving methamphetamine to kids in the seventies for this Ritalin which is still given, and Adderall, which is still given for this, are chemically almost identical to cocaine. Yet we, we think of cocaine as this horrible drug that's so addictive, and yet we still give two drugs to kids for ADD and ADHD that are chemically so close to cocaine that hardcore cocaine and crack addicts can't tell the difference. If they if they do a blind test and they give hardcore crack addicts Ritalin or or Adderall, they can't tell the difference. They don't know that they're not getting cocaine. So that was a, a side note back to the ADD that we always thought was a disability. It really only seems to be a problem because of the way our schools work and these kids just don't fit into the system. But there are some amazing people. Um, Richard Branson one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, Virgin Records, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Space, 
The guy's going to be taking people up into space with his own rockets here soon. And he has ADHD. He has dyslexia. All these things that our kids struggle with in our school system turn out sometimes to be almost advantages if they're used properly. So, you know, I understand he's had some issues. It probably has led to some behavioral issues at school because it almost always does. No, actually, the problem, Kevin, where the problem came in in school is when they tried to tell his mother that he has to be put on all this stuff. She went ape. I agree. She said, no, he's going to do that. And she found alternative ways. This kid, this kid is, he's brilliant. I mean, but between that and coming from a, you know, a broken home and everything else, he's done real well for himself. And now him and his girlfriend want to get married. And he wants to become an owner operator because he wants a better life. Well, and, and like I say, I, I will certainly consider him for a donation, but he, he, I, I need to be convinced that he's not just going to take it and say, uh, it was free. How good could it be? And set it aside and not do it. So if he'll call me, I'll talk to him. I'll find out where he is, what his next step needs to be. And I'll either give him a couple things he needs to go do first from the book. And then if he follows up on those things and he does, then I will donate the book to him or the program to him. So I'm just changing the way I do that because I want it to help more people and not just sit on a shelf somewhere. Let's, uh, you know what, we're coming up on a break. So let me take us into the break. And when we come back, I'll get right to some calls. Looks like we're going to be talking to Ed in Utah about. um, I'm going to be talking to Ed in Utah about, it looks like uh, oil purification systems. So we'll get to that right after the break. Um, check out the website. It's letstruck.com. If you're interested in that program, it it is A to Z, everything you could ever want to know about getting started as an owner operator. It's got audio, it's got video, it's got workbooks, it's got checklists. It's $247, but it'll save you 20 times that amount and more by helping you avoid all the worst mistakes and doing things right. You can get it on the website, letstruck.com slash store, or you can call us 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thank you. 
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. As promised, we're going to head off to Utah for some calls. Ed, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you this morning? Good. What can I help you with? Uh, I was wondering about the oil purifier. Like, how well exactly does it work? And can you switch it from truck to truck if you get rid of the truck you got now? And does it affect the warranty? I've got a 2014 Peterbilt with an ISX Cummins 550. Okay. All good questions. Let's start with how well it works. Let me... Let me just give you some of the best stories that I know, and then we'll talk about more of the average stories. But just to give you an idea of what's possible, the first time I put a bypass system, an oil bypass system on one of my trucks was back in 1995. And back then, almost nobody had heard of the technology, but it had been around for quite some time in other industries. And I put it on a brand new truck. It was a 95 Ford Aeromax. Uh, with a 12.7 Detroit, we used it. Uh, the truck ran, truck ran either from Orlando to Memphis on a team run two and a half times a week, or it ran Orlando to LA and back once a week with the team. And I kept that truck for 1.28 million miles, almost 1.3. Never really did anything to the engine. I I think. Um, maybe a water pump, uh, a couple little things, never really touched that engine at all. And I did that with four oil changes. That was my first experience with it. Now, I oil sampled constantly, just like I recommend everybody do when we extend drains. But if the lab comes back and says your oil is still good, we just kept running. And that engine went well over a million miles on four oil changes. It was amazing. Um, I, I know of engines that have gone 600,000 miles with no oil changes. I know of two Mac engines that have done that with the bypass system. Um, I have two trucks right now that I track from listeners that are both over 400,000 miles without an oil change. Those are all the extremes, kind of the best case scenarios. The average that we see is most trucks on the road. Um, and this is a mix of pre-emission and emission. So you've got all the emissions. Those are just dirtier engines. I mean, we're, we, we create a lot of back pressure. We pump a lot of soot back into the combustion chamber. So those tend to go less far. The pre-emission engines tend to go further, but an average, most trucks that we have it on don't have to change their oil between until they get somewhere between 100,000 miles and 200,000 miles. That's about an average. Every now and then a truck will go, you know, wonky. The overhead will be way out of adjustment. We'll get a problem. And, you know, we might have to change oil at 70 or 80,000 miles. But so that's kind of the results. It, 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 and we know that it works because we sample the oil constantly. You know, there, none of this. Um, looking at the oil, tasting the oil, rubbing the oil on your forehead, smelling it, all the other things I've heard people say they can do. This is really high-tech lab analysis stuff, and we know everything that's in there. So I am totally convinced every diesel engine on the planet should have one of these systems. Now, warranty. This is a... Um, oh, let me get the other easy one out of the way. Yes, it's easy to move from truck to truck. 
um, probably take it off and put it back on with somebody who's familiar with the system would be less than five hours total. I know people who could do it in four. So that'll give you an idea of what it's going to cost labor wise to do it. But it's it's definitely feasible to move it. And I've moved many of them. My current OPS system has been on three trucks. The The current system I have right now has been on three trucks. So, yeah, you can definitely move it. Warranty is a, an interesting question. Lots of people will tell you, including dealers, mechanics, service people, salespeople, they will tell you that this modification will void the warranty. They are absolutely wrong. If they would go read their own warranty, I mean, really read it word for word, all the legalese. And if they understood the law around warranties, then they would know that they're wrong. Now, let me ask you a question. I noticed a touch of an accent there. Are you Canadian? Yes, I am. And the reason I need to ask that is because I am not familiar with the laws in Canada. So the laws I'm going to talk about are specifically U.S. laws, but I need to go. I, I bet OPS has the answer to the Canadian issue, and I need to go ask them that. Um, I'll get Tom Bach on that and, and see. But let me explain how it works in the U.S. The laws clearly say uh, on warranty, there's one set of rules for consumer warranty and one set of rules for business or commercial warranty, which is what this is considered. The warranty cannot be voided by something that didn't cause the problem when it occurs. So by putting a device on a truck or an engine, there, we can't void the warranty because there isn't even a warranty issue yet. There's nothing to void. Now, when a breakdown occurs, um, if we had an engine failure, what we need to do is determine what caused the engine failure. If it was the oil itself, or let's say, and I'm going to give the worst case scenario. I'm going to give a case where it could possibly void a warranty. Let's say that somebody installed it improperly and we restricted oil flow so bad, which I've never seen happen, but if it did, and it was the lack of oil flow that caused the breakdown, then the manufacturer would not be responsible. Now, it doesn't mean your warranty is voided. It just means that in this breakdown, it wasn't the manufacturer's fault, so they're not responsible. So your warranty wouldn't apply. At that point, you still have two options. OPS themselves carries a, a very large product liability insurance policy. And if it was the OPS that failed and caused the breakdown, you can claim on that insurance policy and get your money back. Or anytime you use an installer or a shop, you just need to make sure they have that same sort of liability protection. And, and that's how business should work. The person responsible for the problem should be the one that has to pay when something goes wrong. So if we were to have a breakdown and we have oil samples showing that there was never a problem with this oil, and it turns out that the manufacturer's part failed, then it doesn't matter how many devices you have on your engine. The manufacturer is still responsible because it is their part that failed. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, 
a place in Alberta there that installs these. And they may even be able to answer the warranty question for you. OPS, and I mean in Canada. I think I have a pretty good grasp on it in the U.S. Canada, I'm just not sure because I've never really asked, uh, but I'm going to now. Uh, but I, I would just about guarantee that Tom Bach over at OPS would have that answer or the shop you're working with might. Yeah, well, I was going to talk to Cummins, too, and see what they had to say. It depends on who you get at Cummins. I'm telling you, I can make 50 phone calls to Cummins and 49 people will tell me that it'll void the warranty and they're just wrong. I mean, I've done the legal research on this and we have fought cases over the years. I mean, I've been involved with OPS for decades now and we fought cases and they're just wrong when they tell you that. Now, you can call them. I, I don't want you not to. But just be prepared that their standard answer is, oh, if you do anything to our engine, you void the warranty. And they're just wrong. Oh, yeah. So basically, if something does, if something does happen, like let's say the, uh, the part fails, you're still covered then. Yes. by And like I said, two possible scenarios. If it is the OPS product that failed itself, OPS has a product liability insurance policy and, and I, it, it will pay out. I mean, that's what it's there for. And they pay for that because any product can fail. I mean, it, you know, it, it just can. They, they have a very good, you know, failure rate, a very low failure rate, but they do have a policy in place. The other thing you, you need to be careful of with any work done on your truck is that anybody that touches your truck with a wrench needs to have that same sort of, of liability protection in place in case it's the, because again, if the install caused the problem, then it wasn't Cummins fault and it wasn't OPS's fault. So neither one of them are going to pay and they shouldn't. But if the installer screwed up, you need to make sure they have, you know, product liability and, and most good shops do, but it, it certainly doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. This shop in Atchison, he's a pretty good shop up there. Yeah, I, I, in fact, I'm somewhat familiar with them. I would ask them just to be sure. And, and I think that makes it pretty clear. And, and the law works right as long as everybody understands it and does it. The only entity or person that should ever be responsible is the one that caused the problem. Seems so logical, and yet we have so much trouble with that. Oh, you know what? I'm looking up on the board, and Tom Bach um, is with us. He's got some other things he wants to talk about, but I can ask him how I did and uh, if he knows what's going on in Canada. So we'll do that right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford, and we are going to shoot right off to probably Florida. I don't know where Tom is today, but Tom Bach, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. You're right. I am in Florida today. Hey, so how did I do? Did I get the gist of it? 
I think it did very well. As a matter of fact, if you recorded that, I'd, I'd like to have a copy of that. I'd keep it on our website for everybody to hear. The only thing I can tell you, I, I don't know what's different about Canada. Uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, not unfortunately, we haven't had any kind of claims that we'd have to deal through it. But oh, it would basically be the same as what you said. If we're responsible, we'd, we'd cover it through our insurance company. Yeah, and, and the one, that the one thing I can tell anybody that's listening, this is the key thing when you have any kind of warranty and they say they're going to decline it. The first thing you want to do is ask for the reason for declination in writing. The guy behind the counter's word that they're going to decline it because he's not the one making that decision. It has to go up to corporate somewhere before they make that decision. Ask for it in writing, and then you want to say any parts that you remove from this truck, I want those parts in the unlikely event that I have to bring this and have them inspected to find out what the true cause of failure was and come back and sue you. Great advice. Uh, you know, we I should mean, probably do a, uh, a, a recorded show, maybe just a 15 or 20 minute or 30 minute with you and I just covering those things. And you guys could put it up on your website. We could put it up on our website and then more people would know. I think that's a great idea, but I've seen so many guys that come three, four months after they had a warranty issue to say that, you know, they didn't get paid because our product was on the truck. And I asked them those questions. No, the guy behind the counter told me, so I just went and paid the $15,000. I'm a little pissed off, but I paid. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's not being a very good businessman. No, and we want to teach people to be better business people, and this is an issue. So we will do that. So thank you yeah, for that. Yeah. Uh, well, the other what thing else? I want to tell everybody, you know, Mid America Truck Show is coming up, and we decided, Artie has decided, that he's going to give them the Mid America Truck Show price for the whole month. The so whole month? Wants, the whole month. The entire month. The whole month of March. I'm going to give it to everybody, anybody that calls in because they know with the weather and people aren't going to be able to get there and they're changing their plans. So if they want to call into Artie, they get $100 off a starter set. That gentleman from Canada would get $100 off. He would get the system, the installation kit. He would get the three filters, two sample kits. He might not get the mailers because in Canada they can't use the UPS. Unless he comes into the States, he can use the UPS. Uh, and there'll be another adjustment to take some of that price off for him as well. But, uh, yeah, they get $100 off. And anybody who needs filters, they'll get the $41 off for shipping and handling. We're going we're to cover shipping and handling ourselves for the month. Well, the whole month, that's that's just crazy talk. I'm going to have to steal one of your lines. It, it now becomes like a no-brainer squared. Right. Well, usually it's a no-brainer, but when you get it for $100 less, it's a no-brainer squared. And when I Absolutely. can tell you know, anybody that buys a new truck, if they feel uncomfortable, put the system on and change the oil at 25000 or change the oil at 50000 and you'll be able to watch what's going on internally in your engine during that break-in period, during the period when it's, up to, up, up to the 500,000 miles, wherever the warranty's covered, or you start to extend it out if, that's, if it makes you feel better, if you feel uncomfortable. That's a good alternative for people. And I know, you know, you know, Jackie has had the system on her truck for years and she's a fanatic. She still changes her oil on time we, and she sees her oil samples. They're spotless. But, you know, it's just it's she likes the extra protection of having it there. So some people do that for me. I love that savings and convenience of not going into the shop and changing the oil. I, I love just looking at my sample and saying, nope, I'm good. I can just keep going. Well, there's also guys like Rich Grimm who came and just asked me to send a, a sample. I guess he's looking for a sample report. He's got 500,000 miles. hasn't changed the oil yet. and He's still in the normal range. 
500,000. Like I was saying at the beginning, I know of two trucks that went over 600,000. Uh, and I was absolutely blown away by that. So it looks like I didn't know about, uh, I didn't know Grimm's truck was that far into it. Yeah, he, he has 500,000. I also got a call the other day from a guy who had 600,000 had changed his oil twice with our system. And he ended up, we had 600,000 using our system. We had 1.2 million on the truck. He brought it in, told him he needed to have uh, you know uh, bearings put in. When he opened it up and looked at it, he said, you don't need bearings. Everything's fine. Just keep on going. Wow. So, oh, you know what? Save money oil, but he saved the engine, too. Hey, I misspoke. I did know their truck was that high. I looked at their sample a couple times, and this is one of the ones I was thinking of in my mind that was over 400,000, and now it looks like they just hit 500,000 on this sample. Well, I think we're going to make it easier for you. I've, I've talked, uh, I sent a message to Amir. I think what we're going to do is we're going to sign up the 400,000, 300,000, 500,000 mile clubs and start putting their names on our website and give them a little what extra a whenever they order. Yeah, what a great idea. I love that. So, hey, um, we know right now the the special is a no-brainer squared, but how do people get it? Well, they can call Artie at 203-346-1832, or if I'm not mistaken, Kevin, they can go on the Let's Truck Store and buy it right there. They can. What I wasn't sure of is, uh, because this is all new for me, is if they buy it through our store, do they automatically get that discount? I believe that Artie and Aaron were working and changing that price. But if not, okay. you can always make the adjustment for them, you can make it beforehand. Okay, good. I'll double check that. But yeah, we'd love it if they would uh, go buy it through our store. Why with me? I think Excellent. when they buy it through your store, they can also buy the fast system. They can also buy all the other products you have on there. All kinds of cool stuff. That's right. And and don't forget to let's start hats and shirts. Yeah, that's right. Hey, we uh, we will be seeing you pretty soon. What uh, what time are you taking off or what date are you heading up to Louisville? We'll be there on the 25th because we're going over to Mercer for their driver barbecue. Okay. And then uh, we're leaving, leaving out of there on Sunday the 29th. Excellent. All right. So we will uh, we'll see you there and spend some time together. That sounds good to me, Kevin. I'll see you then. All right. Take care. What perfect timing. That wasn't planned, by the way, but uh, Tom Bach was there to just back up the fact that I had all the warranty stuff right. And uh, we are going to get to, well, let's go to an oil sample because that's good timing as well. Uh, Melissa in Washington, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I feel like I'm famous or something, me and Rick, you know. We were just when talking Tom Bach about Bach mentions your name, yeah, that's, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I see the numbers on the sample, 500,000 miles. That is just amazing. Yeah, we've had the OPS on the truck since we, since we got it. It's a glider. So we had them put it on it right there before we even picked it out. Picked it up, so it's been on there the whole time. So here's a truck with a half a million miles that, other than maybe the first one, it's never really had an oil change. Right, we did the initial one. Uh, and then we switched from, we didn't switch to synthetic originally for the initial change. We ran on mineral for a while, but it's had synthetic in it for a hundred thousand, since a hundred thousand. So we got 600,000 on the odometer, 500,000 on the oil. And that's when we switched from mineral to synthetics. Wow. That is just, I just love that. And 
And here's the thing. I'm looking at your sample and it's so clean. Um, you know, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of color here because they flag fuel dilution at 3.1, but we know the history um, way back when, you know, you had 3.2, 2.8, 3.4, 2.5, and it's not causing any issues. So we know there really isn't any fuel dilution to speak of. Their test is just really sensitive now. So uh, viscosity is good. Uh, we have a little bit of oxidation, but we're not seeing any negative effects. And your wear metals are really unbelievably low for this many miles on an engine. I mean, you have virtually no wear metals in here at all. So that's that's really the indication. When we look at oil, we look at a couple things. We look at the physical properties of the oil first. You know, is the oil still serviceable? Is the viscosity right? Then we, we look at contaminants. Um, are there any contaminants in there? And if so, where are they coming from? Because more than likely, Contaminants would indicate a, an engine problem. If we get fuel, it's usually an injector problem. We get coolant, means we've got a leak somewhere getting internally in the engine. You have no contaminants. And then the, the next step is if the physical properties of the oil are good and there's no contaminants, then the odds are we're not going to have any wear metals either. So we're, we're, we've got a, a green check on all three areas and you can just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a funny little comment about the fuel dilution. I've been paying attention to it very closely and it seems like it only goes up above that 2% mark to two and a half percent mark. Either we're idling a lot or we have to drive over 65 for a couple of trips. So, uh, the fuel dilution is actually very, uh, Easy to explain. I can see when we idle or when we drive fast, it goes up. But when we slow down and we don't idle, it goes right back down. And both of those things would make sense. So thanks for sharing that. That's the beauty of sampling, sampling over time, paying attention. We learn things that, honestly, there are just less than about 1% of the people in this industry that know that kind of stuff. So congratulations. Great stuff on that glider. We will be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, real quick heads up. We're heading into the fourth segment of the first hour. So that just means at the end, I'm going to say I'm done. I've got to get out of here. Don't hang up because we'll come right back and record another hour. We're loaded with questions right now. So uh, I'm just going to keep going. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. It's uh, Jason's turn. Jason, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, two things. Uh, I got an oil sample that uh, Kim sent over to you. But first, uh, three weeks ago, I called in and I uh, asked you about uh, 
uh, Weight Watchers. Yeah. And uh, that Saturday after I talked to you, I uh, went and uh, started the program. And uh, this Saturday will be three weeks, and I'm already down 10.4 pounds. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear that. I, I think any program that that gets people moving in the right direction is worth it. The support, the the knowledge, the guidance. Um, this week, uh, well, tomorrow, actually, I'll be joining Kim on Destination Health, and I'm going to share some numbers of mine over the last six months. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it here, but that's exactly what the podcast is all about tomorrow on Destination Health. So, yeah, if you're around and you want to join us for that, we could go into even more detail. And I'm going to share some of my numbers. And um, I think that is fantastic. I bet you're feeling better, too. I certainly am. Definitely. I mean, I have a long way to go to to meet my uh, long-term goal. I got a 24-month goal, but uh, I'm going to do it. I'm I'm going to make it. Well, I, I love the fact that it is a long-term goal, 24 months. When we talk about health, I, I am really kind of shifting my focus to, I, I clearly have some goals, some markers I want to hit along the way, but my real focus now is, hey, wait a minute, this is health. Shouldn't my goal be the rest of my life? Shouldn't it be to just be as healthy as I can be. And that's, that's so simple, really. We've overcomplicated some of these things just, just so much. It's crazy. So great goal to set around the weight itself. Give yourself plenty of time. And, you know, the, the whole idea that I talked about uh, starting a couple months ago, the, that, that compound effect, the slight edge, making little tiny changes over long periods of time is making everything so much easier for me. So uh, thanks for the feedback on that. I know we're also going to look at an oil sample. So right. let me see what we've got here. Um, so you're another high mileage oil change. We're at 240,000 240, miles, uh, if I've got that right, with on this That's oil. Right. Correct. Okay. That's right. Um, you know, this engine has always seemed to be a little plagued with oxidation and it, it's still there, you know, at the worst, um, last March we were at 32, then we were at 28, 29, 24. Now we're back up around 28. Um, how often are you adding a gallon of oil? About every 8,000. Okay. And... You know, it seems like, so do you also really have a 5W30 in here? It originally, when I first changed the oil, it was a 5W40. But uh, over the last uh, 16 months or so, I've done nothing but uh, 5W30 makeup oil. Okay. And I was wondering if the oxidation might be causing the viscosity to climb a little bit because it's high for a 530, but you've got somewhat of a blend in there still. Um, we're not really, I mean, I know they flag some wear metals here, but they're not horrible. I mean, I don't see any reason not to keep this oil in the engine. I mean, the engine's doing great. Let's start there. No fuel dilution, really no soot to talk about. Um, so the engine is doing great. 
The oil might be oxidizing because of a little blow by and the fact that it's been in the engine a long time. You know, if you were even a little uncomfortable about the oxidation, you know, or the viscosity, I would say maybe drain a couple gallons and top it back off just to freshen it up a little bit. But even if you didn't, I really don't see anything in here where it's causing any problems. Okay. Um, I was a little worried when they started mentioning uh, cylinder kits and liners in, in the comments there because this is the first sample that uh, uh, one of the wear metals was flagged since I've had the truck. I've had the truck for uh, almost 800,000 miles, and it, I can't remember well, you know, it's not iron. Here's kind of the interesting thing about wear metals and the way they get flagged. I, I think a lot of these levels are really set for trucks that are not doing extended drains. So what they're looking at, I think, primarily, is not really how long the oil's been in the engine, but how long it is since the, since the interval should have been that it was changed. I don't know if I explained that right, if that made sense or not. Because if we look back, there was a time a couple oil samples ago where your iron level was 121, and it was only flagged at a level one. Well, now it's an 87 and it's being flagged at a level two. But the thing is, we never really filter out the metal particles because they're just way too fine. There aren't any filters that would get that out. So yours has gone down and now it climbed a little bit again. The, the chromium, you know, two samples ago, it was a four and it was at it was at a zero. They didn't flag it at all. Now it's a three and it got flagged at a level two. So if we look at the numbers relative to where they've been in the past and they weren't being flagged, I think it has something more to do with the drain intervals and not how long the oil's actually been in the engine. So, you know, I think that a, an engine with 240,000 miles on it, oil or uh, iron at 87 and chromium at three. I think that's low. Okay. All right. That's, so, that's the only reason why I called is the comments had me a little bit, you know, I got 1.1 million miles on here and uh, I haven't touched it yet. Yeah. I plan it, on to for a while. You know, I, I, I really do a lot of research. I read a lot of oil samples. I, I take classes online through the lab, so I understand this stuff better. Um, but I still always defer to Tom Bach. Um, he's been doing this a lot longer than I do. He does it literally full time. And if you're ever concerned, I mean, certainly call me. I love talking about him on the air. But if you're ever concerned and I'm not totally clear on an answer, it wouldn't hurt to double check with Tom. Uh, that's part of the, you know, outrageous customer service at OPS. Let's go to uh, California. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I've got a question about which oil I should be using in my truck. I recently okay. bought a 2011 Western Star with a DD13 at 360,000 miles, and I've had it about three months, and it's there's no oil filtration, extra filtration system on it. So I plan on going to the show and buying uh, the OPS system. Um, okay. It's got the mobile one. It's got the mobile one full synthetic in it. So okay. I was wondering uh, from talking to one of the installers in the Indianapolis area, they're 
they use a Lucas 1030 synthetic on theirs, which seems to run quite a bit cheaper. Like they'll do a, a PM for $250. Uh, the uh, talking to an installer in Pittsburgh on the OPS system, uh, they one one of the guys didn't seem too happy about using synthetics on this 2011 DD13. Okay. Kind of recommended well, I go back to a mineral oil. What's let me address. Yeah, and believe me, I have some opinions. Let me try to squeeze them in here in a couple minutes that we've got. Um, gotcha. Here's the thing about oil. There is no question. I mean, if you talk to oil engineers and people who understand oil, and, and I'm not saying mechanics don't understand oil, but most mechanics are in a shop all day long changing oil. They're not out in a truck that they own using it. They're not in the lab researching it. So we, we have to understand that people form opinions uh, for lots of reasons. Now, I have tried over the years, literally for 20 years, I have tried to pick a brand of oil and somehow prove that it's better than other oils. And honestly, I can't do it. I, I cannot come up with a, a, a consistent way to test oil over long periods of time to actually prove that one brand is better than another. Now, what I can look at are the physical properties, synthetic versus mineral. There is nobody in the oil industry that would ever argue that synthetic is not a better oil. It clearly is a better oil in all cases. I mean, it just is. So when somebody doesn't believe in synthetic, it, 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 I have to believe that they've just not done the research um, and, and they, they have some sort of personal bias against it. I've been using synthetic oils for 40 years in every vehicle I own, cars, boats, trucks, ATVs, motorcycles, chainsaws, you name it. And it, it, is, it is a superior oil. Now, the Lucas 10W30, I like the, the idea of a 10W30 synthetic. I, I love the shop you're talking about in Indy. And if that is an oil they carry, if I were you, I would use that oil. It's there. It's a good price. You'll get excellent fuel economy out of it. And you will see long life with the OPS filter. So there isn't a single reason for you not to use that oil. Like so many benefits. That's my opinion. We could go on talking about other things about oil, but to get to your question specifically, I would use the shop in India in their oil. Thanks for joining me. I've got to get out of here. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, we're just going to go right into a second hour. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show, it's all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about all kinds of topics, trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, and, and a whole slew of other topics. Virtually anything you want to ask me, I'll try to answer it. If I can't, 
maybe somebody listening can help us out. I've been working in the trucking industry and answering questions for people for decades, and I do a tremendous amount of research, but there are still questions I just don't know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you, maybe we can find somebody who does. No matter what the question is, we wrap it around the trucking lifestyle, which is very different from normal people. Uh, we don't get to sleep in our own bed at home every night. Most of us don't. Um, we don't get to go to our favorite breakfast restaurant whenever we want. We're on the road. It's There's a lot of challenges to that, but there's also some tremendous advantages, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. In fact, uh, even though I retired from commercial trucking uh, several years ago, I still spend uh four to five months a year on the road in a truck, um, pulling a, an RV trailer that we built with our studio in it, living and working out on the road just like you do. In fact, I am getting ready to leave any day now and uh, probably won't be back till June this year. So I'm looking forward to being out on the road and uh, running into you. If you ever happen to see a white Volvo, older model Volvo 99 single axle with a, a full body around the back frame, pulling a uh, white, black and maroon toy hauler, 43 foot toy hauler. That's me. Um, so if you happen to see me somewhere, give me a shout out. Maybe we can talk. One quick thing I want to cover, then we're going to get some phone calls. We have lots and lots of calls lined up tonight. At the end of uh, the last show, I was talking to a gentleman about oil and, and oil preferences. And, and he wanted to know if I had an oil that I preferred. He had gotten some opinions that both of his opinions were shops that I absolutely trust. But it doesn't mean that I agree with everything those shops do or say or that I agree with every mechanic in those shops. That's a key. Lots of people, mechanics, drivers, salespeople have formed opinions over the years. I've clearly formed opinions over the years. And my opinion about oil, even though it's my opinion, is based on a tremendous amount of research. I've had the, the good fortune uh, to be able to interact with some of the top oil engineers in the world because we, we've had a couple partnerships in the past with oil companies. And I, I've been able to interact with the labs that do all the oil analysis. And I've learned a tremendous about, amount about oil from them. I've worked with Tom Bach over at OPS on reading oil samples for over a decade now. And I, I can't thank Tom enough for everything he's taught me. And what I've, and I've also tested dozens, more than dozens, just about every oil I can find on the market at different times over my career. I owned multiple trucks and we ran lots of tests on oil. And here's the conclusion I came to. I can clearly point out differences between synthetic oil and mineral oil based on the research, based on what the engineers have always said, based on my experience of over three decades. I firmly believe that synthetic oil is clearly superior to mineral oil in many ways. I believe it protects the engine better. It is certainly better for cold weather starting. 
and it improves fuel economy. And I can't think of a downside to synthetic oil other than in some really high wear engines. I'm not even going to say high mileage, high wear engines, engines where the cylinder kits are are showing some failure and we're burning a lot of oil. If that's the case with synthetic oils or 30 weight oils, which is a, another different category, you will see increased oil consumption. Now, if we look at oil consumption and think, is it bad? It's only bad in one way. You, you are going to spend more money on oil because you're burning more. But there's another at this. The more fresh oil you put into an engine because you're burning a lot, better the quality of the oil will be in the crankcase. So that's really the two ways to look at that. And I used to tell people, no, if you're burning a lot of oil, you should probably move away from the synthetic. Now I tell them, look, it's up to you. Do a cost analysis. How much is it costing you? And there is a benefit to adding that makeup oil, even a lot, because it literally keeps your oil almost brand new in the crankcase. That's a change I've made in my thinking over the years. Other than that, once we separate the two, mineral and synthetic, I am a firm believer in synthetic, always have been. All the testing backs that up. The engineers back it up. I know very few people that, that know a lot about oil that would argue that point. The next thing we have to look at are weights of oil. In this industry, we have almost exclusively used a 40-weight oil. Now, it might be a 1540, it might be a 540, it might even be a 040. Just a quick education on what those numbers mean. The first number tells us the viscosity at cold temperatures. So when we look at the first number, 1540, 540, 040, those oils have a, the, the lower the number, the thinner the oil is when it's cold. It has no effect on the oil's viscosity when it's hot. Those are two different things. So when we look at the first number, we want to match that first number to the temperatures we're going to be running in. And if you run up in the frozen north, 540s or 530s will give you excellent starting capabilities. If you get really down into the minus temperatures that we've seen lately, even just on the East Coast, minus 15, minus 20 without a wind chill. And by the way, wind chill does not affect engines. If it is minus 20 out ambient temperature, but it's minus 60 out with the wind chill, the temperature to your truck and to its components is just minus 20. Wind chill has no effect on inanimate objects. Wind chill only affects living beings. That, that's another little piece of trivia, but it makes sense once you understand why. So really cold temperatures, if you go to a zero weight, you would be amazed how well it starts. And you could do a test on this. Take some uh, 1540 mineral oil in a bottle and take a 040 synthetic oil and go out, leave them outside overnight and go try pouring them out of the bottle and watch what happens. The second number, the 40, is, which is primarily what we've always used in this industry, even our synthetic oils have been 40 weight, or 30 weight, which is your, what you're starting to see a lot of now. 
that tells us the viscosity at operating temperature. And again, the lower the number, the thinner the oil, the lighter the viscosity is. We've always used 40 weights. I've always wondered, 30 weight will give you better fuel economy. No question about it. It's just physics. If the, oil, if the engine, all of those parts in the engine have to work through a thicker oil, they will have, the engine will have to work harder and it will burn more energy, more fuel, and it will rob the engine of a tiny, tiny little bit of horsepower. But, but it's physics and we know it's there. The same with the fuel economy. It's a small improvement, but it is an improvement. A 30 weight oil is thinner, so the engine can move freer. So we have more available horsepower to go to the wheels and we have less fuel being consumed. My question had always been, will a 30 weight oil protect the engine as good as a 40 weight? And if not, can we measure how much we're compromising and, you know, how much engine life will we lose and would it still be worth it? And maybe it is. So I got a chance to see uh, the results of a test. They took, uh, if I remember right, it was five engines, five, all class eight, uh, 15 liter diesel engines. And they ran them for 500,000 miles with normal oil changes. One group of the engines had 40 weight oil and one group had 30 weight oil. They tore the engines all apart, laid out all the parts for all the different engines, didn't tell anybody which engine was which, and they brought in master technicians and engine rebuilders to look at the wear patterns on the parts to see if they could identify any difference. There was none. that They couldn't tell any difference whatsoever in the wear patterns. That That's the early testing on 30 weight because it's a pretty new concept. For me, that's enough. If I ever change my oil again, which I might not in my truck, uh, I will switch to a 30 weight. When we get back, speaking of engines and masters, Bruce Mallinson is going to be joining us. Stick around. You don't want to miss that. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford, and joining me, we have a very special treat and a special guest, Bruce Mallinson from Pittsburgh Power. Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Kevin. I've been doing some research today on the uh, different D-Deck 4s that are out there. Okay, good, because this, this has been a big issue coming up, and I could use all the help I could get. What have you found out so far? Well... I found out that there's a TK, UK, KK, BK, MK, PK, and GK. Oh, my God. Hold on, because I want to get this down. I'll never remember all that. Go through that list one more time, because I'm ready to write. There's a TK, a UK, a KK, 
a B K. B is in boy. M is in Mary K. P is in Paul K. And a G K. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How much? Now, now that's seven. The- okay. Yeah. Now think about this. When a person calls and says, I have a C15 cat, there's seven different C15 cats, too. Oh, wow. That's getting complicated. That's right. And there's about six different 3406 E-cats. Wow. Seven different ones. So what what we're seeing now is because, you know, we buy a lot of used ECMs. A lot of these ECMs we're seeing are coming off of gen sets. Well, like the KK is for a generator or underground in mining. A UK is an industrial engine. A TK is a military engine. But mostly what we see on highway are the BK, MK, PK, and GK. And the BK and the PK are the premium D-deck trees and D-deck forks. Standards are the G and the M. But yet, I cannot tell you right now, yet... I will be in a few days. What the difference is inside? We do know that camshafts are different, and the valves and the injector settings are different. And we also know that people are going out and buying different valve covers and a two-piece valve cover, then they lose the engine serial number. Oh, oh no. Okay. Now, the engine serial number is on the driver's side of the block below the head in the center. And you have to take a Scotch-Brite pad or some sandpaper to clean that off. And so everyone we work on, we go in there and we get that number. Because what happens then, a lot of times a guy will go to a salvage yard and he buys a used ECM. That ECM has the engine serial number of the engine it came off of, not the engine it's on now. Right. So think about this, 2002 and older. That's 13, 14, 15, 16 years how many people have been inside these engines making changes? Right. Right. Wow. You know, and, and let me just catch some people up uh, on why we're talking about this and, and why I, I asked you to do some research and you were doing some on your own and just Zarley was doing some. You know, I, I made the comment many, many times. You bring me a pre-emission engine and I don't care what truck it's in. I don't care which engine it is. If there is a fuel mileage problem. I know based on the specs, the upgrades, the additions, the operation, how a truck's being driven, I can usually come within a couple tenths of a mile per gallon of what that fuel mileage should be. And if it's way off, I've I've told people we can find it. There's nothing that complicated about these engines. We will find the problem. And 99% of the time we do. When that 1% would come up that we just couldn't find it, and it's been happening more recently, I started saying there's got to be a reason. I mean, this is all physics. We know how these things work. What, what is the issue? And it, it's starting to look like if you get enough mismatched parts and mismatched settings, it becomes very hard to get that engine to run the way it should. Exactly correct. And then there are some other problems. Um, I, I made a whole list during the night last night. I had one of those nights where I had trouble sleeping because I, I knew I was going to be talking to you today. And so I was making a list 
on things that affect fuel mileage. Yeah. <laughs> you, That's a you big You want to hear a couple of them? Sure. Go ahead. Let's think of North America. Which way do all of the rivers flow? Except uh, the Monongahela. The Monongahela flows from West Virginia to Pittsburgh, but then it joins the Allegheny and it forms the Ohio and then it goes to the Mississippi. Okay, let me give let me give you my understanding of this and let's see if I'm even right, because I haven't done any real research. But the way I understand water flow is if we look at east to west, if we start at the continental divide, you know, on the west side of the continental divide, everything's going to flow west. And on the east side, it's all going to flow east. But if we're talking about north and south rivers. Well, 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 think about that now. Whenever the rivers on the west side flow to the west, where in the west are they flowing? Other than the river you live on, you're an exception to the rule. Okay. Um, this the, I'm on the Columbia. It flows to the ocean. Starts up in Canada right. somewhere, comes south, and then turns right. west uh, and heads out to the ocean. The, so most the all other the rivers flow to the southwest or the south. Got it. Okay. Now, it's okay. funny because the other river I used to live on was an exception, and that is the St. John's River in Florida flows north. It's interesting because the main river is the Nile that flows south and north, but that's in a different continent. Yeah. So that let me put this. The Saint John. The Saint John's kind of starts down almost in the Everglades as as not even really much of a river or a stream, and then it keeps getting bigger and bigger as it goes north. And then it makes just a small turn east at uh, north of Jacksonville to head out into the ocean. But that is one of the few, very few north flowing rivers uh, in the northern hemisphere. I live along the Blue River here in the wintertime, and it flows south to north, and then it joins the Colorado River, and then it flows southwest. But when I'm towing, Heading towards Interstate 70, it's 26 miles up, up a slight grade, going against the flow of the water. My turbo boost gauge stays between 15 and 22 PSI. And sometimes you can look at that road and say, man, that is dead level, and it is not. Right. Coming the other way, coming the other way at the same speed, I'm between 4 and 8 pounds. Wow. That's a big now, something. That's huge. It's huge. You have to look and see which way the water's flowing because when you have an aerodynamic truck and the hood slopes down, it gives you the illusion that you are going downhill. Good okay, point. Now, so you have to look at the terrain and the load and you have to think if there's slush on the road, you know, jet planes can't take off in slush. Slush is the hardest thing to push out of the way. So yeah. it's very, very cold air. So yep. look at the terrain, look at the temperature and the wind. And here's something else to think about. 75% of all the dirt above 10,000 feet in the USA is in Colorado. Wow. So think of the U.S. as a large volcano. East coast, west coast, it peaks at the Continental Divide. Right. So if you're heading towards the Continental Divide, you are going uphill. 
And it's the same way when you're on Interstate 80 going west in uh, Wyoming. It doesn't look uphill, but it is uphill. And then you'll see that sign that says Continental Divide, and then you're going downhill. Uh, Interstate 40 and in, you know, New Mexico and further down in the south, same same way. You get great Absolutely. fuel economy east on those roads, and you, you suffer for fuel economy going west. Kansas climbs going west 4,000 feet. It looks level. It is not right. level. It's giant steps going up. And the worst part is you generally have the headwind. So yes. when you're, you're in a right. situation like yeah. that, you've got to drive by the boost gauge or the your scan gauge. You have to drive by that, and you have to control your speed. You just can't hit that cruise control button and say, I'm going to go 62 or I'm going to go 65. You have to be able to roll that truck on rolling hills like a roller coaster. A roller coaster has no engine. What keeps it going? Momentum. Momentum. Momentum keeps it going. And you have to think about that. Interstate 80 in Western Iowa, perfect example of a roller coaster. I Is it I-40 that goes down to Springfield, Missouri from St. Louis? There's another yes. one. Yep. Um, one from uh, Cincinnati, Louisville. We have to roll that whenever we're towing our show trailer down through there. So those are just some things to think about. Yeah, it, it, and whenever you know, when we when we break, I've got to get to a break. So, and I don't want to cut you off, and I'm definitely bringing you back because we are going to talk more about this. Uh, so stick around, don't go away. Great, great stuff on fuel economy. Something we talk about a lot, but we don't always get into these kind of details. My list of factors that affect fuel economy between driver, weather, equipment, truck, trailer, all those things. I'm up to a list of over 80 items. And my guess is Bruce might have some on his that I haven't thought of yet. Let's uh, let's get to a break. We'll come right back. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. With me today on the show is Bruce Mallinson from Pittsburgh Power, and we're talking about engines and some really uh, amazing new facts I didn't know about engines. Seven, seven different builds of D-Deck 4s. Uh, Bruce is doing some research on that now. Seven different CAT. Was that C-15s, Bruce? Yes, C-15s are seven different. That's the ones that are on highway. Oh, okay. wow. That's not counting, that's not counting marine, because cat's bigger than marine, and that's not counting mining, and that's not counting underground mining. Wow. You know, an, an underground engine is different than an above-ground engine. That's crazy stuff. Hey, I want to clarify something you told me the other day. Um, when we were talking about, uh, you know, possibly 
uh, you and I getting putting our heads together and starting to build gliders with N14s because parts are easier to get. And you had mentioned the kind of the history of the D deck that it was it, it was turned down by Cummins because the the they th- believed the N14 was better. They liked the N14 so much they didn't go with it. And then a couple other things, but at the time I know you were saying D deck four. But if we go back, if we're talking about the original engine, we're really talking about the D-Deck 1 that went all through this, right? No, that's correct. I'm sorry. It was the D-Deck 1. It was when the 60 series first came out. Which would have been, I'm thinking like 86 that it actually hit the market, if I'm right. Do you know who made the very first computer for it? I don't. General Motors. Wow. That's a cool little piece of trivia because that really, you know, as far as the trucking market, I don't know about any other markets, but that was, as far as I know, the first electronically controlled diesel engine in the trucking market. Is that correct? That is correct. And now we know we, uh, we've become friends through a seminar that we go to that our engineers go to. I quit going because I don't really understand a lot of it. But we can interface, we could interface everybody's truck through the satellite and we could change their calibration as they're driving. Wow. But can you imagine the nightmare that would be? Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm coming into the mountains. Give me 100 more horsepower. It's easier <laughs> to do with the power box. Turn the knob. <laughs> we, oh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> We could shut a truck off through the satellite, but we'd have to set each one up to do that. And we're not, uh, that's not, that's not, I don't think that's in my lifestyle. Yeah, my that's lifetime. kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. Wow. We, uh, we tested an engine flush system last year. We've been looking at this. Uh, BG Lubricants and Snap-on, they make a machine, same company that makes the machines, uh, to flush out automatic transmissions, tire steering systems, and brake systems. And they now make an engine flush system, and it uses a very thin oil with four times the detergent that normal oil is, and it runs for about a half hour. And they were in and demonstrating it to us. And we have two of the machines now. We will be bringing one to the Louisville show, and we'll also be bringing it to the CMC. Hey, when you say you'll be bringing the machine, is is that a working machine that you'd be able to do on site? Yeah. Can I? Can I? Can, <laughs> I was going to say, can I get my truck on the list so you can do mine? So <laughs> <laughs> no. um, we're actually going to be doing it at the okay. CMC. I know we won't be doing it at Louisville. Right, but it right. will be there for you to inspect and see. And Eric Wheeler is the president of Diesel Tech, and he's the one behind this. And he's been talking to me. You know, you know, Kevin, I don't jump on the bandwagon right away. Oh, no, well, I is, know. But, but you. Been going on. But what I do want to tell people, it, it, because this is important to me, you know, when, what year did you first put a wrench to a diesel engine? 1977. 1977, you put a wrench to a diesel engine, and yet today, last night, you are still doing tremendous amounts of research to learn. You don't jump on the bandwagon right away, and that's good, but what you do, I think you are 
one of the most progressive shops in the entire country. And, and I use the word progressive in a good way, not a political way. One of the most progressive shops in the entire country looking at better and better ways to do things all the time. Well, you know, when you take engines apart, we just took an ISX DPF, DGR DPF apart, 785,000 miles, a number six cylinder. The rings were golded into the ring land. So the cylinder rings basically weren't touching the cylinder liner. Wow. And it was just pouring out oil out of number six. Number one through five were fine. Huh. Uh, this thing for 765,000 miles has been eating its own garbage, its own soot, and it has the DPF. And so that really made me have Eric bring this machine in. And we took this extremely high detergent oil and we soaked that piston in it overnight. And it was amazing how much carbon just flowed off. Wow. Not, not being agitated or anything. Right. We have an Acer cat that has like 1.3 million miles on our engine dyno, and we ran the the oil system through it, and I think it ran about a half hour, and there was a lot of dirt that came out, and now we're still running because this is our main test engine right now, and the dipstick is staying spotlessly clean. Hey, Bruce. And wait, also- you know I hate to do this. I've got some calls I've got to get to because we're going to run out of show. And actually, one of the calls I want you to help me with. So if you could stay for that. But there is so much you and I need to cover, so much you guys have learned with the engineers and everything else. And we've both been busy. What I would much rather do is schedule a podcast because we don't have breaks. We can go as long as we want. We can talk as much as we want. And, and, can we do that sometime soon? Can we just take a, a couple calls here? You can help me with on engines and then let's schedule sure. something that's not going to be interrupted. Sure. Excellent. So we can let's do anything. Uh, good. Good. It, we'll do that because I'll tell you what, I am. I won't sleep tonight now because um, my mind's racing with all the stuff you guys are learning over there. Let's, um, let's go to California, though. Jack's got a question I think you can help me with. Jack, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. Boy, I'm sure uh, sure nice to have Bruce on the show. Anyway, uh, what's Thank going you. on? I've got I've got a, a Series 60 14.7 uh, uh, DDEC5, and they put the ECM on the bottom left of the motor, and the way it's sitting is every time you wash the truck or change oil or anything, all the oil goes down on the ECM, and it winds up in a 50-pin plug or 100-pin plug that plugs on the side of the ECM. And what happens is with time, you start getting air codes on the dash. And I was taking the truck in and getting it fixed all the time. I'm finding out that all they were doing, I guess, is pulling off this plug and washing it off and plugging it back in. And uh, so I went to the shop yesterday. They want 350 bucks to wash this plug out. And I was wondering if I can do it myself. I know how to pull the plug off. Do I just steam clean it or spray it with kerosene? Or what do I do to clean the plug? And then... Is there anything I should put on the plug when I plug it back in, like any kind of special coating or grease or anything when I plug it back in? You, There is another problem there. There is a weep hole behind where that plugs in. And so we take all the Detroit ECMs apart whenever there's a problem because there's usually water, oil, or diesel fuel inside, 
and the water is the worst because it creates corrosion. Now, the diesel fuel will carry electricity, and it'll arc out. So now, I don't know if you guys heard whenever I said I had to buy a $700 air-operated solder gun to be able to change the contacts and the resistors and transistors and everything else inside that is affected by the water or the diesel fuel. So you don't want to pressure wash the front of the ECM. And when you have that corrosion, use brake clean, unplug it, use brake clean, and then you could put diesel electric grease on there. Okay, and then plug it back in. Hey, Bruce, one question. I've heard this over the years, and I don't know if it's true or not. Is it safe to unplug that plug on or any of the connectors on the ECM while the battery is still connected? Yeah, that's not a problem. Okay. All right. So brake clean to get the gunk out and then dielectric grease to protect it. Seems pretty simple. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, one, it, one more thing don't... I wanted. I'm sorry. One, one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, you had a caller on the last show worried about the warranty with the OPS. And right. uh, one thing that you may not realize, I think the major benefit of having the OPS on the truck is the oil sampling routine spots problems with the engine before you need warranty work done. Uh, I've had mine on my truck about a year, and after about eight months, uh, I did an oil sample, and I got a call from Tom. I didn't even know who Tom was, didn't even know he had my phone number, and he told me I had to immediately take my truck to the shop because I had uh, a lot of fuel in the oil and iron and copper and all this stuff. So I got my engineer to the shop and got it worked on, got the problem fixed, uh, before it, you know, be, before it took took me off the road in terms of breakdown, and uh, I want to point out that great, great point. I hate to cut you off, but the clock says I have to. That is a really good point. Also, we have the proof that the oil was serviceable. I'll I'll be right back. I've got to get to a break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Hey, Bruce, um, I'm going to let you go. Final segment goes really quick. Um, I'm going to be in touch. I'd love to do, you know, an hour or even two on a podcast where we don't have any breaks. Let's do that. And we also have to talk about people buying trucks with a million plus miles on them for eight, ten, and twelve thousand dollars and thinking they're going to spend thousand and it's going to be a brand new truck. You know, that doesn't happen. It's an ongoing process, and these people that are calling into the show and complaining, that's because they don't have enough money to fix their truck the proper way. You know, I really haven't had any complaints that way. And and I tell people, look, 40000 isn't going to make it like a new truck. I mean, you have to understand what it is. It's a million-plus-mile-old truck, but it's a cheap way to get into the industry and start making some money. Yeah, and if you spend... Uh, twelve or fifteen hundred a month on it, you will yeah. be able to make it a good serviceable truck. But you have to spend money on it, and you have to spend some of your own time on it. Very good so point. We got a lot of stuff to talk about on on what's going on in the industry because we, we have a lot of people. Go ahead. Well, you know what I was going to say, and and I've talked about this with you before, and I'm ready to do it now. I've cleared up a bunch of stuff on my schedule. I would love to do one hour every week so that we don't feel like we have to rush all these topics. And 
any time that you could join me, literally every week, if you could join me, I, I would love to have you on. It's going to be a special podcast just about maintenance. Well, you know, all you got to do is call me. Okay. I, I just didn't want to try to pick up an hour of your time every week because I know how busy you are. But if you're open to that, and if you have to miss a week here and there, no biggie. But I'm ready to kick that off. Maybe that's how we'll start this. Oh, Kevin, I don't have a problem with an hour a week. It, it helps to educate these people. It makes my life easier when they come into the shop. Good, good. Let's the, do the that. The uneducated then. guy is the hardest person to deal with. I agree. Let, let's do that then. Thanks so much for today, and we'll be talking to you very soon. All right. See you in Louisville. All right. Take care. All right. We are going to uh, get to the fourth and final segment of the day here. Let's go. Welcome back. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to try to get right back to some phone calls here. Let's head off to California. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Uh, Jimmy the Junkman checking in. It's true. You are still alive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in uh, colorful Colorado. Oh, excellent. It it, uh, looks like California on my screen, but I like Colorado even better. Yeah, I've been uh, been doing the whole uh, Atlas Shrugged thing. I parachuted into Colorado, and I haven't left. Save me a spot. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, we get we got 250 inches of snow so far, but some of it landed in the wrong place. So we got a big yellow digging machine and a 1993 Ford dump truck, and we're moving it from over here to over there. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's 13 speed. I can only get up to, uh, I only got the 12th gear in town, but uh, it's, it's fun. There you go. What's on your mind uh, today? Old Blue, I know you're talking about OPS and engine longevity and all that. Um, I bought Old Blue uh, with 500,000 miles on it. I think it had 490. And uh, we put the OPS on right away and then just added oil uh, for makeup. Um, it got changed a couple of times by shops by accident. So we <laughs> yeah. wrote on the service order in big capital letters with an exclamation point, do not change the oil. So they changed the oil. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we <laughs> using now uh, the, the Walmart 540 Rotella synthetic right. for uh, years and years. The truck got real tired um, over time, and we started putting in, um, when I was driving it myself, uh, as late as 2012, we were putting in a gallon of synthetic every 8,000, and more recently, it's been a, a gallon of synthetic about every 7,000 miles. Okay. The engine just had a problem at a million three hundred thousand and something. Wow. It, uh, yeah. So it, um, we probably changed the oil a couple of times during that period um, and, uh, you know, drove it easy, you know, for the most part. And um, it, uh, it ended up getting some oil in the coolant and some coolant in the oil. So it's looking at a top-end rebuild. But yeah. certainly with all the modifications on it, it's worth, uh, it's worth uh, doing that to that truck. 
Oh, I'm telling um, you, based on some of our current research and some things I've got Bruce working on and Jeff Zarley working on, if, if you've got a serviceable 12-7 block, those things are going to be worth a small fortune. They're becoming very, very hard to find. Yeah, it's, um, they're, they're still out there. you you got to poke around for them, but they're definitely still out there. The, hey, something um, else you mentioned that, that I don't think a lot of people realize. You mentioned that the truck was driven easy, which is a very good point as well. But this truck also has a pretty amazing fuel mileage history. What what was this truck getting when you bought it for fuel mileage? Um, when I bought it, I didn't really know what it was getting. The first three years, representing 300,000 miles, it got 5.5. Um, doing, you know, with a driver. Um, right. And that was that was getting, uh, you know, some flatbed, some oversized flatbed, and some auto hauling. Uh, but 5.5, um, you know, the driver was idling, the driver was driving too fast, and the driver was consistently putting on the wrong tires, just for yeah. starters. And after you um, spent literally a couple of years upgrading and modifying and changing and testing things, what did you peak at for fuel economy? I, I took over the truck in 2009, uh, March, and drove it for three years and three months, 39 months. I brought it from 5.5 to 9.05 for a six-month average. Wow. That, but so, and that is tremendous in itself for the amount of money that saved. But the other thing we know that a lot of people don't realize is mileage is not a good indication of when we should change oil, no matter what system you're using, extended drains or not. The best uh, measure of how much, you know, life or how much life we've taken away from oil potentially is how much fuel was consumed in the engine. And the better fuel economy you get, the easier it is on the oil. And so right. there's another reason why you had such great luck with both. So I was uh, at the beginning of my uh, tour of duty with that truck. I was uh, burning, um, burning about annualized 20,000 gallons a year. And by the time I was done, I was down to about 13,000 gallons a year. Percentage-wise, that's just incredible. Then after after I um, got out of the truck, it ended up um, going staying at Dart Transit, and that guy that's driving it was real picky about geographical areas. He was not nearly the rush I was. He was only interested in getting about ten thousand miles a month, okay. and um, and he refused to drive it uh, over fifty five miles an hour. Wow. Regardless of logistics, you would just tell the people, you know, these handlers, hey, you know, I'll get this thing there in the morning. If you're in a mad rush, put it on another truck. And he would just sit. For the I night, love that. He so yeah. he ended up um, doing a one year average uh, of uh, 9.9 miles to the gallon. One year average. Yeah. Dark transit. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Huge. Huge. So, yeah, we're looking at doing a rebuild on that truck and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody at the Louisville Truck Show at the end of this month. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, what is it, May, first first or second week in May in Kansas City, right, Kevin? 
first week in May, boy, I, every year I look more and more forward to that event. So, hey, Jimmy, hate to do it. I got a couple calls that have been on hold forever. I want to try to squeeze in, but you got to call more often. We miss you. Let's go to uh, Alberta. Chris, uh, Alberta. Chris, are you with me? Hi, hello, Kevin. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Ah. Uh, can't wait for another CMC. It's coming quick here, but uh, I want to make this. I want to make this short. Uh, I know you got uh, lots to do there. I'm looking at a one of your favorite trucks. It's a '99 Volvo 770 with a 12.7, 13 speed. Not sure what the rears are. Uh, the truck is clean. It's got 700,000 original miles. It's been a farm truck since it was five years old, and wow. very well looked after. Um, it's, uh, it's got 80% rubber all the way around. Uh, it's got workstation under the top bunk there. It's, it's a full load truck. It's got everything on it. Okay. Uh, just looking now, what do you see for a value, a fair market value in a truck like that? You know, fair market value, and let's use that term the way it's applied by everybody else, fair market value on that truck honestly would probably end up being less than 20, probably 15 to 20. In my book, okay. I, I would have no problem paying 30. Okay. Well, the, uh, the, there's a, the, the guy's asking 19,000 for the truck, but the deal is a little more sweeter than that. He's also throwing in, and, and this is mainly what I'm after, he's throwing in a 1988 Fontaine 48 foot low pro step deck that uh, has very light, very little use. Uh, it's got new paint, tires, uh, brakes, and slack adjusters on it. I can buy the package deal for 19000 And I'm what I'm looking to do is basically try to get this trailer for free if I can flip the truck for what I pay for both. Okay, so let me tell you this. If if that truck is what it is, um, let me know when you buy it and you're ready to flip it. I've got a bunch of projects going on right now, so I couldn't totally commit. But I will tell you, when I am, don't have a lot of stuff going on, if you didn't buy that truck, I would, or I would buy it from you for exactly what you paid for the combo and you'd get the trailer free. So that's that's how impressed I am with that truck and that price. And again, I, I, I wish I could commit to you right now, but I've got so much going on. But that'll just let you know how I feel about that. I'd buy it in a heartbeat without the trailer. So if you buy it, call me if I can clear up some projects going on and, and free up some cash. I might grab that thing. Let's uh, try to squeeze a quick one in here. David, you got about a minute. Hello? Yep, you got about a minute. Go oh, ahead. okay. Hey, uh, R135 versus the M835 for a trailer tire. What would your R recommendation be? R One's a drive uh, tire. Okay. Have you checked the rolling resistance on those two tires? No, that's what I was kind of calling you for. I don't know where to get to it at. Okay. Hey, let me give you a website because I'm out of time. Um, really, really great website for checking uh, rolling resistance, and it's one of our listeners who runs it. You can either go to AMB, 
bt.org. That's uh, A-M, Mike, bt.org. Or you can go to americamovesbytruck.com. They'll both get you to the same place. Really okay. well organized, easy to find. And my answer would be, Whichever one has the lower rolling resistance is the one that I would take. It's really that simple for me. Wish I had more time, but we'll be back here tomorrow doing it again. Thanks for joining me. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. for tuning in to the audio road if you have any questions give us a call at 855-800-FUEL that's 855-800-3835 check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash let's truck